Dr. Vic, a.k.a. Dr. Vikram Antramani, host of Navigating Uncertainty. He's rather certain about that. And, of course, his book, <laughs> The Generalist. Good morning, Dr. Vic. Good morning, Jack. How are you doing today? I'm all right. Hey, give us a weather report. You're kind of in the central part, a little more, more a little northern, in one of yeah. our great ski areas, school, New Hampshire School Vacation Week. You're up at uh, Lincoln at Loon Mountain, a little icy overnight after the rain and the winds. That's right. You know, Jack, the temperatures plunged last night up here and uh, definitely icy, uh, very firm ground. Uh, I think the temperature when I woke up this morning around 12, 13 degrees. And, you know, when I went to sleep, it was probably 50 degrees. So, yes, a rapid freeze and like you, gusty wind. So uh, that's the report from up here. All right. What, what do you see on the economy? Well, this morning we had uh, the Federal Reserve has a preferred gauge of inflation. It's called the personal consumption expenditure uh, rate of change. So uh, that showed it was sort of coming down a little bit, 0.4% on the core, 0.3% total, which means that they believe inflation is now coming down. If inflation is coming down, markets are going to cheer that. They're going to expect the Fed to cut rates. Combine that, Jack, with some data that came out this morning on jobless claims. People are starting to lose jobs at a higher rate than was expected. Those two data points combine to give investors confidence that the Fed's going to have to raise, or excuse me, lower rates later this year. And if they do that, that's good news for the economy. So it's a sort of bad news is good news story from the economic data front, uh, meaning, you know, weakness equals Fed lowering rates, which is good news, apparently, at least to investors. Uh, so that caught my attention. Uh, the other things that have caught my attention this morning, number one, or excuse me, number two, um, in addition to the inflation data, is Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitcoin thank, is thank, now- uh, thank you. I'm sorry. I had it next to my talking points to ask Dr. Vic. This past week, crypto is going up, 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 up. Yep, you got it. You got it. It's, Why? Uh, it's- Why? So a couple of reasons, Jack. Number one, um, there is uh, some technical reasons. It's called a halving process. The amount of Bitcoins that are offered to miners as they sort of keep this system going is going to get cut in half, which means it's more expensive, etc. So that's one technical reason, uh, and I don't want to waste listener time on that. But the other thing is, you know, ETFs were approved. Everyone can buy Bitcoin now in their brokerage accounts. Institutions can buy broke, you know, Bitcoin ETFs. They're uh, they're available for everyone. You got a Schwab account, a Fidelity account, E Trade account, whatever you got. You can buy Bitcoin now. You don't have to go get specialized uh, software or go to specialized websites. And right. you know, this is all now available for everyone. So I think there's been a lot more demand that's showing up um, into this uh, into this market. So those are a couple of the reasons. You know, there's also a lot of international demand for Bitcoin. And in a world where if the Fed's going to lower rates, um, dollars in theory could get cheaper and you want an alternative to hold your money in besides the U.S. dollar, this is something that can't be printed, so to say. Uh, well, there's be a set number of bitcoins. So yeah, it's catching my attention. Well, it's catching mine because not to get into you know personal like I don't give financial advice, but I want to take a moment on this. Um, you know, after all, J Dog well, might have to remind me of you, Doctor Vic, um, the guy who got nailed, went to prison. The young guy is at Friedman. Um, yeah, Sam Bankman Fried or for the platform Friedman, yeah, SDF. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He had all you know, Tom Brady and Giselle and all these big profile and blew through the money. So a lot of people. That and a couple of other things sort of caused the whole crypto thing to to really tamp down and melt down a little bit. So a lot of people either closed, forgot about it. So what I typically did was 
because you were worried that certain platforms like Coinbase and others, are they solvent? There were stories if they were losing money, and a lot of people mm-hmm. got nervous, right? Yep. So what I did was, instead of closing everything out, I left a little bit in, right? Because, you know, just something that's fun. To, I don't do DraftKings fantasy football. It's kind of fun hobby when you're just, if you're <laughs> on a, you know, looking yep. at crypto. So I left a little bit in, forgot about it. And then middle of this week, I looked at it. I'm like, whoa. You know, all of yep. a sudden, there's a number there. And I'm laughing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking, I look at AI, all the technology that you can't stop, and I'm saying, why would the digital fiat, why would crypto globally go away just because the platforms and a couple of characters screwed up? It is a viable thing in terms of how some people are now looking at blockchain technology, AI. So I'm thinking, I'm not advising people jump back into it, but I wouldn't assume that crypto is going by the wayside. I Personally, I just think it might actually be sort of recharging right now. Yeah, Jack, I think that's right. Uh, uh, look, I believe, uh, you know, people, investors, those who hold large pools of capital are always worried about governments printing money and therefore making each dollar worth less. And so that leads investors and, again, holders of large pools of capital to say, how can I hedge against the risk of someone and some governments or all governments Printing, 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 making each dollar I hold worth less. I want to have something that cannot be printed as a currency. Historically, that was gold or silver or precious metals like platinum or palladium. Uh, But what's the digital equivalent of a scarce resource that can act as a currency? Well, so far, that's emerging to be cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin. I think there's a whole bunch of others that I don't understand. But Bitcoin promises, uh, and again, I'm not a technologist who can understand or give you the, 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 the technical explanation as to why this is the case, but those who do understand it assure me there will never be more than 21 million Bitcoins, period. And you can divide them up. You can own point oh 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 one Bitcoin. So if they're infinitely divisible and you can do it, it almost doesn't matter what the price of a Bitcoin is. It becomes a resource that cannot be printed. Well, and they're also, yeah, I get it. And they're also saying that, you know, if it's at $62,000 of Bitcoin right now, believe it or not, it can go up to 180, 150, 120,000 per Bitcoin. I don't. I don't think there's any reason to say it couldn't go there. Couldn't go. I'm not higher. saying it will. I'm so, not yeah. saying it will. But the key is yeah. again, what people look at is okay. Don't don't do this because it's like when you get a headache and you Google causes of a headache online, and you'll get all these things, and you won't sleep at night. <laughs> but if you Google what what's the next Bitcoin, you know all kinds of stuff from Motley Fool to Yahoo yep. to everything yep. pops up. So all right, Doctor Vic, thank yep. you very much. We appreciate it. And right, navigating Jack. uncertainty, and of course the book, the generalist. How's it doing? Oh, it's good. We're getting lots of attention. Uh, finally, the book seems finally to be getting some momentum. Got speaking engagements next week, you know, uh, did a couple this week, a couple last week, and so it's getting some momentum, which is good. So, but making of the generalist available everywhere you buy your books. All right. Thank you, Dr. Vic. All right. Thanks, Jack. John Decker, almost a preview to the general election with a major issue, if you ask me. Good morning, John. Oh, that's right. So I'll be with President Biden traveling, as you point out, on Air Force One down to Brownsville, Texas. And then 325 miles away from where we will be uh, will be former President Donald Trump in Eagle Pass, Texas. That is 
the epicenter of the migrant crisis, uh, and I'm getting a lot of questions that I do not know the answer to, but I will find out the answer why Brownsville was chosen for this visit. Uh, President Biden last visiting the U.S.-Mexico border in El Paso, Texas. Uh, So uh, this is an important visit for the president, given the fact that he does not get good numbers in the polls as it relates to the issue of border security. And, John, I know you're busy with the trip, and I just want to but you're, you're seeing signs from this White House, whether it's something they want to see or not, that they know this is a bigger hot-button issue in terms of voters, including Democrats, the border. And I even saw a story which looks a little knee-jerk. White House now calling for sanctuary cities to now cooperate with ICE in uh, you know what's happening in Georgia over illegal immigrant crimes committed here. Well, that's right. You know, I, you look at polls, I look at polls, the White House looks at polls, and they see uh, what is a constant, which is that this order, this uh, this uh, issue, this election cycle is a top issue for a significant percentage of voters. Uh, and that's the reason for the president's trip, in which we'll meet with Border Patrol agents, meet with local leaders as well. Uh, no, I've gotten the schedule, nothing on the schedule that I've seen, which indicates the president will visit any migrant processing centers. He did not do that on his last trip to the southern border. Uh, But uh, this is clearly uh, an issue that the White House wants to get in front of instead of playing defense. John Decker, safe trip, uh, our own White House correspondent. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jack. A great story on how he came to the Division of the State Police, his background, and sources tell me uh, he even played some college football and uh, does a lot to help in the community. Uh, Good morning, Trooper. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, sir. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for what you're doing. How long have you been with the state police? So uh, I got hired in December 2016, so just a little under eight years or so now. Has that that gone pretty quickly? Uh, Yes, the time time (laughs) does fly by. I got Uh, got news for you, sir. It doesn't get any slower. Hey, tell me a little bit about your background, how you came to the division, and, of course, our great state police segment brought to you by Auto Fair. Chris uh, Houston, tell us a little bit about your story, who you are, where you came from, why you wanted to be a trooper. Um, So I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, born and raised. Um, I I got recruited. I played football at UNH. Oh, cool. Um, So that was was a great experience. That's kind of what brought me here to New Hampshire. Um, I had a tremendous four years, had a great opportunity to uh, learn from some great coaches um, and get an education. Upon graduating, I worked two years in Boston, um, and then I decided it was the job kind of got monotonous, uh, and it was time for a career change. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my father uh, recommended becoming a state trooper. Um, he recommended it back in Pennsylvania. However, I had other plans Obviously, with ties to the University of New Hampshire, um, I decided to pursue a career with the state police here in New Hampshire, um, and it's been it's been a great ride. It's been awesome, um, and I don't regret that decision at all. Well, it sounds pretty cool. I get I get a text from someone who knows UNH football. Were you a cornerback? Uh, yes, yes, I play I play corner. Yep. So our listener, that's the same guy. He he said he was pretty darn good. How, how come you're not? How come I'm interviewing you on an NFL team right now? <laughs> um, that that wasn't my 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 path or my direction. I was honestly, I was just excited to have the opportunity to play no, I think uh, it's... collegiate football at at a good level, and then I yeah. was on scholarship, so that was 
that was another plus. So I definitely uh, I, I enjoyed my time playing. Well, you did well because I'll tell you, anyone who plays any college sport, there's a, it's not a easy accomplishment. Hey, I want to go back, though. And by the way, Harrisburg, it's a great time in Carlisle at the U.S. Army War College when I attended a seminar there, and I love the nearby, uh, you know, Gettysburg and all that stuff. So I know the area somewhat. Um, talk a little bit. By the way, before I forget, I don't want to forget because it was a loss of life and a bad accident, and you're from that troop. If people have, I, I heard a story this morning on that fatal accident yesterday morning. I'm not saying you were involved in the investigation, trooper, but if I think the people, the state police, are looking for anyone eyes and ears that may have seen something on that car that went off and the driver injured and the uh, passenger, I believe, killed. Uh, what's the best way? Are you looking for any help on, from any witnesses of the, uh, the motoring public? Yes, uh, they can contact the investigating trooper, um, Tyler Dodds. Uh, his email is Tyler, T-Y-L-E-R, dot M as in Mary, dot Dodds, David Ocean, David, David, Sam, at D-O-S, .nh.gov. Um, so if anybody has any information or if they see anything, they can reach out to him via email, um, and I'm sure he'll get back to you in a timely manner. Thank you. So let's just get back to a little bit about what what do you, if you if someone said, and you mentioned your dad recommended it in Pennsylvania as well, but you're here, uh, Trooper Houston, what, what do you like about the job when you come in, uh, when you when you go to it and you approach it, and your, your peers and, and how you're received in the public? Do you feel the public supporting our public service folks out there locally and regionally. Just tell us a little bit about the job, what you like about it, the challenges, the rewards. Um, I, I think it's, it's very multifaceted, uh, the division. Uh, me being like a former athlete, I've always been a part of the team. And I could be honest, me putting on the state police uniform is probably the closest thing uh, I've been to actually playing collegiate football or being a part of a team. Because um, no matter what you do, it's not just about you. You're representing the organization, whether you're working or not. You're always in the public eye, um, and you're, you're, you have a sense of self-worth and self-value, and you take pride in what you do. Um, and, and with that, you, you take pride in the guys you work with. And I work for state police, but obviously across the, the state of New Hampshire, there's, there's many different local agencies that we work with, and we have great working relationships um, but every, you're accepted with open, open arms. You're part of the team. Uh, whatever you need, people answer the phone. They're, they're quick to give you advice. Uh, they're quick to back each other up. And we all have, we have one goal. The goal is to, to serve the public um, and just make sure that we're, uptake, we're upholding the, the standards of professionalism, um, integrity, and fairness. And I, I just think we have great leadership here, and that, that kind of trickles down, especially here. And I'm in Troop A. I, I don't have any uh, – I this is the command staff that I work most closely with, and, and they've been awesome. Um, and I, I think New Hampshire is unique because I think we are uh, respected and accepted to the public. Um, they do support law enforcement here. Uh, the community is great. Um, we're perceived very well, mm-hmm. uh, and I've and I've actually had a a lot of opportunities here to do some some good things in terms of like coaching football and and, and track, and the kids love it. They perceive it well. They uh, and, and it helps. And and I right I can it. say I, I truly enjoy it here. Well, you're a great spurs, a spokesperson for the division. Uh, by the way, I just saw nationally the uniforms got a good rating nationally. So there you go, state police uniforms. And before we let you go, what's your message to anyone else thinking of? looking into public safety, looking into the division or local police, law enforcement, state police. I know you're 
bias for the New Hampshire, you know, for the state police. But what's your message on anyone, uh, Trooper Houston, who might be interested in joining the ranks or looking into it? Um, I, I think it's uh, if you're looking for a sense of self-worth and self-value and you want to have a positive impact on the community um, and you want to take pride in what you do by putting on a uniform, making sure you're well-polished, making sure you're well-groomed, making sure you're in physical physical shape, um, it, it just helps going to work every day. It's, it's not a job. It's a career. Um, and part of that career becomes a lifestyle because everything you do is a representation of this organization. Um, so obviously we're, we're always hiring, um, but before people kind of take a look at that career, they, they should figure out if it's really something they want to do. Um, for me, if I could do it again, I would do everything over again the same exact way, and I would still be here. Uh, representing the division, um, and it, it makes coming to work easier for me. Well, I appreciate I love your passion and energy, and I, I think it's a great story. And I appreciate you're on the job and uh, keeping us safe out there and doing a great job and a great a great story, a great uh, passion for the the challenge. I can hear it when you um, not only talk about when you join, but uh, if, if you enjoy it and what you like about it. And I, I hear that from a lot of your colleagues, that it's a, people who have been on the business side or doing other things. It's a sense of really serving and uh, a team and helping the public. So thank you, sir, for what you do. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. I didn't ask you any questions about your favorite team, by the way, in the NFL. I didn't want to go there. We're in the off season, so I don't want to speculate. <laughs> probably, wait a minute, hold on. Give me a break. Probably the Steelers. Am I right? I'm a little closer. If I had to choose, uh, I'm a little closer to Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I don't really have a team. I just enjoy the sport of football. That's I can sit yeah. and watch football all day. Yeah, it's great stuff. Thank you for what you do. Be safe. Thank you, sir. Take care. Brad Card, one of our political analysts and all-stars, joins us. Card and Associates. He's not out playing golf. He's actually working today. Good morning, Brad. Hey, Jack. I'm living the dream here in our nation's capital. Before we come back to Congress, let's talk. Because, you know, you, you've met and you know McConnell. Let's talk. But let's talk about the border. To me, and I just heard ABC News, Brad, frame the story this way. And I knew this would happen today. President Biden going to the border... President Biden is going to talk about urging Republicans to pass the border bill that former President Donald Trump helped kill. But no mention at all about the past three years in Joe Biden. No mention at all that now all of a sudden the White House is actually asking sanctuary cities to cooperate with ICE for illegal migrants committing crimes. It's all blame Trump, blame Trump. But what do you make of this border visit and a sign that this is an election issue and a preview of the general election, I think? Are we surprised that we're in the midst of an election? I'm not. So look, at, I'm glad the president's going down there, actually. I think he's going to one of the safest areas that he can go to in Brownsville. Well, so I, I'd like him to uh, – Eagle Pass would be a great place for him to go, which is where Donald Trump is going. Um, look, at the, the, the political issue for Donald Trump and the political issue against Joe Biden is the southwest border. Um, you know, you've heard the speaker come out and say as many as maybe 12 million illegal immigrants have come into the country uh, under Joe Biden's watch. That is a huge vulnerability for the president. There was a special election in, in New York. Tom Swasey was, was elected in the special election. And he ran talking about Southwest border as well, that they need to control it. And he pushed back against Joe Biden and said that he didn't, he didn't even really want Joe Biden coming in to campaign for him. And this is a Democrat, and he won the race. The, the southwest border is the number one political issue. And 
Joe Biden has really dropped the ball. He has severely dropped the ball. It is a real tone-deaf issue for him, and I don't understand why, um, it, it, but it is. Donald Trump wants to keep the issue alive, which I've been critical about. I don't like the fact that he came out so hard against you know, a conservative, one of the most conservative members of the United States Senate who negotiated a border security um, compromise, Jim Langford. Uh, and then Donald Trump came out and immediately trashed it, killed it with everybody, and, and so that is all dead. And now we've made Jim Lankford the bad guy uh, in doing that. So, look, at, there's a lot of blame to go around. But the southwest border is clearly falling right in the lap of Joe Biden, and he's dropped the ball horribly. So it's his political Achilles heel. Interesting. What do you make of McConnell stepping down? Not surprised, given his health and age. Not surprised, but your reaction? No, I, I think he's doing the right thing. Um, I'm a big Mitch McConnell fan. I, I, I think he's taken a lot of heat from members, and he's done it because he's the leader. And uh, he, he's taken arrows that he didn't need to take, that he could have deflected, but he didn't. Um, I think he's been on the right side of history. For the most part, I think he's done a really good job leading the Senate and leading the conference. It is going to be very telling uh, of the direction. We are kind of at a tipping point. We have the hardcore Trump side, the MAGA, if you will, and then we've got the former, more traditional Republicans. And, uh, you know, John Thune kind of represents that more traditional part of the party. Mm -hmm. He came up through the House. And into the Senate, he's a young, pretty, still a pretty young guy, um, and he's the number two Republican right now in the Senate, and he is uh, obviously going to be running for that position. And then you've got Senator Brasso, who is um, more closely in line with some of the, you know, right, the right Trump guys. But you may actually see someone like Rick Scott try to make a play as well, where Donald Trump had pushed him, and Rick Scott, you know, as we know, is one of the ones kind of pushing the even uh, right. alternative slate of electors during January 6th. Brad, I'm not saying you have the crystal ball, but you know what's going to happen on the, um, I know the president the other day, Brad, congressional leaders trying to avert, yeah, here we go again, another looming government shutdown. This one might be a little more hard to move. I know the House was talking about something to keep things going a week, but now the divisions in an election year seem to be even deeper. The, yeah, they're going to get that done today, Jack. They're going to pass the CR today, okay. and then they're going to get out of town for, for the weekend. Um, they're leaving after this vote. Uh, so, yeah, they've got two different dates. What they're doing is just kicking, down, kicking the can down the road a little bit and sh reshuffling some of the, the priorities. They have CJS, THUD, Ag Approves, Milcon Appropriations, Interior and Energy, I mean Environment, and then Energy and Water. Those are going to be pushed to January, I mean to March 8th. And then the rest are going to go in um, to, for the deadline of March 22nd. So we're going to end up with a couple of minibuses probably. But the kicking the can down the road and, and the way that the speaker has handled this, you know, look, it, it, it's, it's, it's not ideal. And, you know, how many times have you seen the speaker on TV saying we're not going to do any more CRs? And here we are now going to do another CR for another week or so. Uh, so that they can get their act together. These appropriations bills that are, were supposed to be done before October. So, um, you know, it, it, it is glaring how dysfunctional the House
House of Representatives is right now, and it's very frustrating for me uh, to see. And we look at we have a very slim majority, the two seat majority. And when you have this, Jack, you can't. It's not reasonable, and it's not logical to think that you can put some of the more partisan issues into a bill as a policy writer and expect those to pass. It's just not realistic. And when when the Senate is controlled by Democrats and the White House is controlled by Democrats, to think that you're going to stick things into a bill that even, quite frankly, the Republican conference doesn't agree to. Remember, Jack, the House couldn't even pass many of these bills. They couldn't even get them out of the Rules Committee because they were so partisan, right? Mm-hmm. So you have these issues that are just not realistic, and you really need an adult in the room, but this motion to vacate the chair that can be brought by one member that, let's face it, on the opposite party, they're all going to support whatever the motion is to, to vacate because it, it just shows the, dis, the dysfunction of the other party. So when you have Republicans threatening to put a put the speaker up for a motion to vacate the chair, then what you end up with is chaos because Democrats will support that. And you you will have, if you have Right now, if you have two or three support it on the Republican side, then you're going to end up with a new speaker. It's 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 insanity. You can't govern this way, yeah. and we're seeing it. Yep. And and we're having a very difficult time governing. And then we see you, you pile on top of that. You know, your your impeachment of Mayorkas, which was very troubling for a lot of Republicans because they didn't think there was the high crimes and misdemeanor there, but they went along with it to be team players to go which is going nowhere in the United States Senate, but it's going to eat up Senate time, so it's going to put them behind yep. the eight ball yep. to get legislation done. So we, we see these type of things, and it's just, it's, it's not, it doesn't make for a functional No, government. but it seems like we're not in a functional time. It just seems like it. And um, I don't know the solution, but a lot of it just looks at Washington. But all right, Brad, appreciate it on a, on a Thursday. Make it a good one, Cardin Associates, Brad Carr. Thank there you. you. Go. Aaron Real, NBC News Radio, National Correspondent. Aaron, 401Ks, I know you were looking at your 401K. That's why you're a minute late. Good morning. Uh, thank you. I'm so sorry about that. Yes, I am a minute late. But, you know what? It's good news. Because 401Ks are generally up this year, 14%. So the average 401K balance to end out 2023 was $118,000. And this is according to Fidelity, which manages the majority of 401K plans here in the U.S. But get this, apparently the 401K millionaires increased 20% in the third quarter. This is all thanks to the markets, which have been on a tear. The NASDAQ closed out last year at up 43%. S&P up 24%, and the Dow, that rose 13%. All of this adds to that wonderful little thing called compound interest, that if you sit back and you wait, you could retire a millionaire if you start putting away early. Interesting. Um, you know, and again, a lot of people, it's it takes discipline, but I appreciate it. Aaron Rial, NBC News Radio National Correspondent. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks. Lucas Meyer, thank you, Lucas, for the patience. Uh, so Governor Sununu, not liking the House version it's going to go to the Senate. seems like it's going to be close. It can actually squeak through the Senate and then wind up at his desk. I guess it's the number of locations. He doesn't think there should be that many. Definite state control like the Liquor Commission and doesn't want anyone involved to be able to lobby state government. Those are the specifics he gave me. But what are your thoughts on what he'll do? I mean, see, I, 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 I know I'm out of the prediction game, but it sounds very similar to what we were theorizing his position might be the other week, that he'll come in with some bureaucratic or process concerns uh, that he won't budge from despite 
um, a lot of bipartisan work in the House and Senate to find some compromise, just like he came in the last section of that special committee uh, to figure out what the plan would be um, earlier, uh, or sorry, excuse me, last fall. Um, I think this is like a real no-brainer for the state for a myriad of reasons. There's no reason we can't get it done. There is obviously a lot of political will, certainly among the people of this state. There's an incredible amount of support uh, for legal cannabis, recreational cannabis, both for the economic uh, benefits and, um, you know, the criminal justice benefits. Um, so, uh, look, uh, I'm always an optimist. I think it's like a trained skill, uh, and I hope the governor will be able to uh, sort out these concerns in a constructive, proactive manner during the Senate process. But to your point, Jack, that's not a home run in the Senate either. Um, and, you know, again, we talked about it the other week, but this really gets to a generational <clears throat> divide. Um, and just like a general understanding of the market uh, and the impacts of cannabis. So hopefully we'll continue to chip away at this and goodness gracious, hopefully, you know, unleash this economic engine in the state of uh, recreational cannabis. Interesting. What else is catching your eye on this uh, Thursday that we're not talking about locally? Uh, I mean, we have town elections coming up in uh, two weeks. Every town or most towns will go uh, to the ballot to elect uh, their school board members, their, their select board members, budget committee, library trustee. These offices are really important in communities, and, you know, you don't see as much turnout as I think we all would like to see in these local races because it really does – uh, impact how your community operates. Uh, but we have a lot of really uh, great young leaders who have stepped up front for some of these town offices. A little easier to serve in your town as opposed to serving in a volunteer legislature like we have. So I always love paying attention to some of these local races. There's often um, some local hot button issues that aren't, you know, partisan in nature, but then you have really dumb things like efforts to, you know, remove ballot counting devices, which usually get pretty summarily. Uh, defeated, but you never know. It depends on who shows up that day. So if you live in a town uh, that has an election on the second Tuesday in March, uh, make sure you do a little bit of homework and show up to vote, because if you don't show up, someone else is making that decision for you. And I think uh, democracy works better when we all show up. Interesting. You know, I noticed in the the gubernatorial governor's race is taking shape. The big names on the Democrat side, Cindy Warmington, executive counselor, Joyce Craig, former mayor of Manchester, I noticed a little bit of a, I don't read into that because I don't think endorsements matter as much, but a little bit of a split. I noticed uh, Bill Shaheen, uh, spouse of Gene Shaheen, senior U.S. senator, uh, partial to Cindy Warmington, but Joyce Craig seems to be racking up a lot of other endorsements, and I think the Hassan camp. So a little split in our senators on which two Democrats or what, which ones they're going to support, or is that, is that not the picture? Yeah, who, I mean, with our, with our congressional delegation, it's anyone's guess. Uh, what they'll do weighing in in a primary, whether they will or they won't. Uh, this week you had, you know, Howard Dean, a former governor of Vermont, endorsing Cindy Warmington, and you had uh, Joyce Craig get the endorsement of the AFL-CIO. Uh, what I look at in, with endorsements in these primary campaigns, I tend to subscribe uh, to your notion, Jack, that they don't mean too much. Uh, but what I like to see is how a campaign leverages their endorsements. Does it come with work? And if I'm looking at a campaign that's able to convert an endorsement into boots on the ground, to events, to reaching out across, um, you know, the state to voters, like that is the the, political muscle, political machine. That's really important. Um, Sometimes, you know, you see a couple, you know, a state rep, a state senator here and there, and that's kind of like all good and well and maybe sends out like a a signal flare uh, to folks to say, hey, here's, here's who I'm with. But 
to me, it's about work. It's about who's willing to build a campaign to reach out and talk to voters, because what every campaign, Republican or Democrat, is going to have to deal with is this new information environment, which is always changing, how people are getting their news, um, how they're, who, who do they trust to deliver their news. So what I'm, what I'm looking at personally is how these campaigns are building their organizing operations which isn't, which in my opinion, probably shouldn't look like anything we've seen before. Um, so uh, that's what I'm keeping an eye on for, and, you know, who, who will be able to build the operation uh, to crack through a lot of noise, especially when it comes to some of these, you know, the presidential race is going to take up a lot of oxygen. Yep. So how do you break through on the governor level? All right, I appreciate it. Lucas Meyer, straight to the Dome on a Thursday and the Democrat side of things. Thank you, Lucas. Thank you, Jack. Rory O'Neill, NBC News Radio National Correspondent. I heard you on earlier with Mike Pomp in our network, Rory. Good morning. Yes. Trying to explain <laughs> the rationale of leap year. I don't even know if it's a worthy exercise, but take it away. Uh, well, yeah, but just keep in mind that uh, every year that is divisible by four is a leap year, unless it's divisible by 100, but not 400. So 1900 was not a leap year. 2000 was because it's divisible by 400. 2100 will not be. Uh, it's all this crazy way to maintain the calendar so that the seasons don't fall completely out of whack because in just a few hundred years, suddenly you'd have the start of spring wouldn't happen until July and we'd be going into winter starting in March. So all these adjustments to the calendar have to be made so that uh, the equinox is when the equinox is supposed to be. The solstice is when the sol- solstice is supposed to be. Jay, Jay I want to know how you get the job of deciding leap year. Is that, is that a paid job? Uh, not yet. Well, hmm. I don't know. How much does a Grecian earn? Hey, oh. Thank you, Rory. Thanks, Jack. Well, tell us where it is, first of all. Guilford, New Hampshire. Yep. Right next to Cinema 8. Cinema 8. Movie yep. Theater. Yep. And what do you like about it? I love serving people excellent service. I am a server and a bartender. Yeah. And I love giving the people exactly what they need. And and people must love this. Andrew, tell us a little bit about the business, um, how it came about, what you're finding, and uh, imagine it's very popular. Yeah, so actually, uh, it came about uh, the owner, Don Lincoln, and his friend. Uh, we're down south, actually, in uh, South Carolina. And they decided to go axe throwing. I think it was a bad day out. Wanted to go indoors. Um, and they ended up going axe throwing. Um, and as they were axe throwing, you know, they decided they were thirsty. They were hungry. Um, and we realized there was nothing there for them. Uh, they had to leave the axe throwing place and go, you know, next door to a restaurant or so forth. And uh, so later that night, they were talking. And uh, they were like, oh, you know, what would be great? You know, axe place, food, drinking a beer. You know, what, what could be better than that? And uh, they came up here, and they found a place uh, right next to the Guilford Cinema that could uh, house us, uh, 9,200 square feet. Um, and they decided, let's do it, and they built it, and it's been uh, it's been a hit ever since. Now, I imagine, Andrew, that you have people that are regular visitors, whether it's for the axe and ale and the food, or just, you know, maybe just to come in and have something great to eat as well and drink. But tell us a little bit about your um, what, what people are telling you what they like about it. Yeah, so that was the thing. I mean, I think that was the biggest thing. that uh, The first hurdle was uh, definitely everyone thought, you know, it was just come in and throw axes. Um, they didn't realize, you know, we had a 150-seat restaurant, 27-seat bar. Right. Um, 
And we kind of catered towards everyone because uh, we love, you know, it's not just axe. I mean, we do get some people that come in there. They're very competitive. They bring their own axes to have fun. Wow. Um, but then, you know, it, it grew from there and there. And uh, we have a kid zone. So, you know, kids are welcome, families. We love, you know, everyone coming down and having a good time. J-Dog wanted you to put me up against the wall earlier, and, and but I, I don't think we'll do that. But any, <laughs> hopefully no near misses. Uh, no, I mean, knock on wood, we haven't had a problem there yet. Um, one of my favorite sayings is uh, urgent care is an axe throw away in the same parking lot. So, <laughs> Oh, jeez, I know. Okay, well, that's why they put it there. That's okay. why they put it there. Wow. Uh, hey, tell me about Mom's Meatballs. Mom's Meatballs, yeah. So Mom's Meatballs was uh, one of the menu items that came on um, from our chef, Chef Terrence. Um, he kind of helped everyone start this whole thing, um, and then we grew from there. And uh, Wow, what a menu. Yeah, I mean, we just actually started uh, making our own pasta. We got a pasta machine from Italy, and uh, wow. now we make our own pasta. Unbelievable. So um, every day is just dip. growing. I love, I love that, lumberjack dip. But you know what? You have great sandwiches. I'm looking at that you also have wood, uh, wood-fired pizzas, right? Steak yes. tips, shepherd's pie, salmon, even had a scallop appetizer. Unbelievable stuff. Great food. Now, here's your pasta. Let's look at the pasta. You're making your own pasta? Yeah, we just started that uh, last month, actually. Ooh, steak tip Alfredo, shrimp scampi, blackened chicken Alfredo. Good fun. And you were even open for breakfast? Yes, that's actually another great thing. We just started that wow. about two months ago. Open Saturdays and Sundays from 8 to 12. I, think, um, I bet you get a line out the door there, huh? Yeah, it's been good. It really has. You know, every day we're you know trying to grow and do more and uh, just you know have a fun place for the community and families to come and have fun and relax. Here's a question. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Are you going to grow locations? So there's talk. There's, there is talk. Um, it's definitely something that no one knew where this was going to go. Obviously, um, right. even in the state of New Hampshire, there's not there's not another one like us. Um, but no, I mean, I think it's definitely in the future for us. And tell me how you came to be, what's your background, Andrew? Uh, so I've been in restaurants, that's my, kind of my whole career. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a chef at one time, uh, moved my way up from there, and uh, now I'm the general manager of Axnail. Good stuff. And um, I guess one of the questions I might have is, uh, you're in Guilford, you mentioned the location. Um, how long has it been, well, it sounds like you've been growing on the food-wise as well, a menu, but how long, when did you open? Uh, July 4th. Wow. It's been that, not even a year. Nope. And you're you're doing this well, yeah. We're doing great. I mean, it tells uh, you honestly, that there's a there's a market for it, right? Yeah, no. I mean, and that was that was the thing. I mean, when we all opened, it was all speculation. We had nothing to go off of. Um, but every week just seems to get better and better, to be honest. But you know, don't you find? And I live in an area where there's a lot of choices. Um, more, on, let's just say on the coast. But don't you find? I find this that the people. First of all, I have utmost respect for the business you're in because I think restaurant bar food is a very difficult business to do well but if you know the business like you do and you do well you can really get a loyal following and a good business but you, it's not an easy business i think you'd agree with it. it's a lot of hard work no it definitely is i mean a lot of hard work i mean yeah but but i find that if the food and the service are really good i mean i'm when i say good like really good like people love to come in to get that pasta dish or the pizza they like or a burger and it's always good and they have fun they're probably going to come back yeah, and that's and that's what it's all about. I mean, that's what we really, you know, pr- try and pride ourselves in is just, it's it, it's just more than just the food. You know, come in and feel welcome, feel a part of us. Um, that's my biggest thing. Like I said, I, we have that kid zone. We have parents that come, they sit down, they eat, they hang out with their friends, and the kids take off and go to the kid zone. You know, so it, it's just that time that you know you don't have to worry about it. You know, I know personally, I have kids. 
I know sometimes going to the restaurant, you're worried, are they, are they being too loud? Are they being too, you know, just out there? And, and that's one thing there. It's just you can just be there, have fun, and it's a great time. Okay, Chantel, you're not off the hook here, you know, just because, you know, Andrew's, you know, the, maybe the manager. I mean, what, I'm just a little shy. What's the, uh, what's one of the more difficult drinks when someone orders that they go, or do you, or nothing, nothing phase you? So we just got a really good drink menu, um, and we do smoke drinks. Oh, I've seen that with like you burn the little wood there. Yeah, that's one of our top. good drinks. But nothing's too much. I love making the drinks. I I enjoy it very much. Last night I had a customer say, "Make me your favorite drink." So I made him a Manhattan, smoked it up, brought wow. it out to him, lifted it. He loved it. Yeah, wow. It's the martini thing. I'm on a martini drinker, but I watch people when they order it and I watch the bartenders and some have no problem with it. Some are like, you know, it's just that then everyone's got the little, the little no pun intended, twist, right? They either right. want it dry or not as dry. I'm on a martini. You mart- come see me. I'll make you a great martini. Well, I don't. I, maybe the per- my smarter, prettier, better half. Well, I, I might have some <laughs> light beer maybe. Uh, you know, it depends. But anyway, I think it's great. And um, if people want to learn more, I've been on the website here. I believe it's just axe-ale.com. Is that right? Yes. And, and you've only been, wow, opening since July. Yeah, since July. And uh, are you looking for help, or you got a good team? No, I mean we have a really good team. Uh, I came in in October, um, but all of our you know restaurant staff, most of them have all been there right, right since day one. Um, again, we're growing every day, so I mean you always need to keep keep up with that. Um, but other than that, I mean everyone's been there; they love it. As you know, as far as I know, it's been what, a great place. It's a great place to work. What? What? You too? What's your favorite uh, item on the menu, food wise? What are your favorites? I gotta say, chicken marsala. I gotta say, a spicy chicken sandwich. I like chicken marsala if it's a, it's all in that little bit of the sauce, yeah. mushrooms. If it's now, if it's done just right, maybe a little seared, you know, good stuff. But the uh, pizza looks great. You, you're making your own pasta. Yeah, that was a. Uh, so we kind of wanted to take a step up, and that's one thing I try and like explain to everyone uh, when they think about it. It's kind of like they think pub-ish, you know. Just that bar food, and that's not it. Like I said, our, our restaurant fits 150 people just in seats, and then another 26 it's a good in, size at the place, bar, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking 100. Anything over 100 is a good size. Wow. So I mean, take <clears throat> that J-Doc. next step was. Go ahead. So I was going to ask a question right after you. No, you, you know, go Andrew finished. So yeah. okay. Taking that next step was to uh, just bring that menu one one step higher, and uh, that's what we thought of. You know, pasta. And because uh, a lot of it was just finger food. So we thought if you're sitting down, you want to have a nice meal, why not? So that's where we went. You talked about the menu and you talked about breakfast. Is there anything that makes your breakfast menu unique from someone else's breakfast menu? Uh, so in terms of items, I mean, you know, because some some restaurants won't have certain yeah, things. I think th- one thing that really stands out um, in my eyes, is we have this uh, early, early bird and it is uh, a grilled cheese. With a fried piece of chicken on top, yep. with an egg and honey drizzled <laughs> over the top. That's unique. You, know? <laughs> you don't see that at restaurants everywhere for I breakfast. Heard of that. Wow. I've never heard That's of that good. for breakfast. I'm not gonna lie. I've been searching, and if anyone knows where they are, let me know. I'm looking for little axes that could be used as knives. Ah, okay. Ooh. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Me too. Oh, there's a there's an entrepreneurial invite out there. If you're good with your hands, you can make just little, maybe out of you know balsa wood, like a little axe that will cut the uh, chicken. Yeah, J Dog, you've awesome. been up there, right? I have been up there. Yes. You like it? I do. I've never again. I've never had the food or drink. Uh, I, had to, I stopped by in there because uh, I had a change of clothes. Why don't you we, and Harrison go up and do a rendezvous? We, that's it's been in the plans for a long time. It's a, it's a matter of availability for Harrison. So <laughs> I'm available. You know that. I'm going to warn Andrew and Chantel though. Chantel, J Dog when he goes, 
If he's hungry and he's been working out, he's going to want to maybe try not just the burger, maybe maybe the chicken sandwich as well. It's usually a couple. So yes. watch out. And, and and desserts as well. You know, so, yeah. Oh, desserts are my favorite. See, there you go. Yeah, that's uh, that's something actually we just changed this week. Uh, yeah. We came out with a whole new dessert menu. Yeah. Um, creme brulee. Uh, one of our staples is dirt cake. Um, it's wow. kind of something that's just been with us since we opened. And, uh, yeah, it's really just to, stepping To your up. point, Jack, you talked about me and the chicken sandwiches and the burgers and the like. You know, if I, and certainly, I'll tell you this right now. What Andrew just said, uh, uh, Harrison loves creme brulee. Oh, so, boy. oh yeah, he'll yeah. order two or three, maybe. You know? So yeah, so yeah. Watch out, you guys. Gonna <laughs> Watch need, out. You're gonna need a food truck there. <laughs> yeah. hey, listen, best of luck to you. AxeAle.com, the site, and again, one last time, the location exactly in Guilford. Uh, it's nine Old Lake Shore Road, right next to the movie theater in Guilford. All right, good luck to you both. I think you're gonna be uh, busy. I can't even imagine the summer there. You know, you get years, you know, year-round stuff in Guilford. But when you get those extra visitors, you're gonna have lines out there. The only question is gonna be, where are we gonna? Open another location. Yeah, right. that's that's that is the question. And Don, if you're listening, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks a lot. Uh, Thank you. Be careful. I, you know, the owner of the goat and the seacoast. Look how much they've expanded the goat.